So if you were at the last Tri-Cities, um, you know that we are covering the four loves. So those are the four um, words for love that are found in the New Testament, um, or the major ones that are found in the New Testament, which means you have to ask, why, AJ, are we covering the four loves um, in, that we find in the Bible? Well, in English, you know this, we have one word for love. Everyone say it with me. One, two, three. Love. love. It is love. Um, on a side note, you guys are going to be uh, my clicker. Um, I have toddlers. You get this too. Stuff vanishes. Okay? So you guys are going to be my clicker tonight. Okay? So when I count down, I'm going to go three, two, one, and everyone's going to clap. So let's practice that. Okay? Three, two, one. When that happens, you change the slide. So let's try it for real this time. Okay? Clicker person. Okay? Three, two, one. Okay? So... What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me? No more. It's my favorite dad joke that I found online. But, but why are we dealing with love? I think the term love in our culture, the reason we have to, we have to deal with this in an English-speaking culture is because it's thrown around haphazardly, right? Like, I love my wife when I sit down for dinner. I love my steak. I love sauerkraut on my brat. I love a good trip to the beach. Um... You get it. We throw around love a lot, and it means different things in different situations, right? So, or at least it should mean different things in different situations. I should love my son differently than I love my steak and that I love my trip to the beach. But the Greeks were just smarter than us, I think, at the end of the day. And they were like, let's parse this out a little bit more so we're not just throwing around this word. So that's why they had four words for it. Okay. So last time we were here, we covered phileia love and eros love. So everyone say phileia, phileia. and eros. Okay. So phileia love being the friendship love that we find in Scripture. Uh, me and Andrew share a phileia relationship. We are friends. Um, it's awesome. Um, we do not share an Eros relationship. Okay, I share an Eros relationship. Thank God. Thank God. I share an Eros relationship with my wife. Okay, Eros is the root term um, for erotic. It is more of a sexual love. Okay, it's, it's it involves bodies. Okay, um, so those are the two type of loves that we covered last time. And Andrew spent a lot of time in John chapter four. If you missed it, go back and read it. It's the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Now today, water wells aren't typical hot spots for guys to pick up women. Okay, But the Old Testament, it kind of established a history where the well was kind of the modern day match.com. Okay? Because you had people in the Old Testament, Isaac and Rebekah, they met at a well in Genesis 24. And Jacob and Rachel... Met at a well in Genesis 29. So it's got some history. I don't know any good pickup lines while you're at a well. But, well, well. Man, you would have done well in the Old Testament. See, I did it again. That was an accidental. But I can imagine, you know, I think it was Isaac or Rebecca. I forget which one he gets there. And he's like, hey, let me move this stone for you. So you can water your sheep. Like those muscles. Like, do you go up to the woman and you're like, hey, nice pail. <laughs> I got one too. Did you hear the story of Jack and Jill? 
tragic. Hmm? But in John 4, the woman does not have any friends, Philea, and is getting water at midday because of it. She has a lot of eros in her life, though. She's had five husbands, and she's currently shacking up with another guy that is not her husband. And when Jesus approached her, if you remember from last time, she was thinking eros. Because no one approaches a woman to talk to them in the middle of the day at the well unless... Nice pale. Like, you know? So, is, is this some random guy at the well? Probably only interested in one thing. And the fact is, Jesus is interested in one thing. He's interested in breaking her Eros mindset that she's obsessed with. We can do a whole talk on that, right? We kind of have an Eros mindset in our culture, but we're not going to do that today. He wants to be her friend, Thalea. Why? Why does he want to be her friend? Because he agapes her. And we're going to get to that love today. We're going to cover agape love in addition to storge love. So let's dive in. Let's pray real quick. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us all together. Lord, as we dive in into your word, really, this is kind of an, almost an intro to Greek class. As we're diving into some of the meanings of the words that are used so regularly in scripture. May it give us a fuller understanding of the love that you have for us and the love that we are to have for each other. In your son's name, amen. So I'm planning a sermon uh, series in the fall for my Yak kids. Um, it's called Killing Cupid. Three, two, one. Okay. Um, it's called Killing Cupid. It's a great band name if you want to steal it, Joe. Um, you can run with that. Um, And we'll be discussing relationships and how we need to break this Greco-Roman myth of love, right? That our culture deals with all the time. I saw her across the room. My heart fluttered. Help you, okay? Like, we got to break this myth of what, what is love. And one of the resources I'm using for the Killing Cupid series is the critically acclaimed Award-winning, three, two, one, Disney animated film, Frozen. Look, I know. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. So my kids were watching it for the twentieth time on our sixteen-hour car ride last week, and I think for the first time I actually heard the story. So like now I know what's happening in a land far, far away. So at the beginning of the film, this guy, this girl named Anna falls in love with this guy named Hans, which should have been her first clue, right? And they sing this duet about love is an open door, which goes to prove that Anna is an idiot when it comes to love, right? She is a fool. And she pleads with her sister, please, we want to get married. We just met. What's your last name? I like, like, this is love to her. It's true love. So why am I telling you this story when it comes to storge and agape love? Because while Anna, Anna, is an awful example of a relationship for Philea and Eros, I mean awful example, she is an excellent example of what storge love is in her relationship with her sister. It's to the point where if you've seen the movie Frozen... 
a hundred times now that like I have, it literally propels the whole story forward. This undying love for her sister, who she wants to bring at peace with everyone else. And really, at the end of the day, the only reason she loves her is because she's family. And it, and it hits a chord, right? Like, it's, it is critically acclaimed and award-winning for a reason. But why, do, why does it strike a chord with audiences? Why does it even strike a chord with children audiences? Why do, why do children get it? Because it doesn't matter if you're 2 or you're 92. You get the idea of familial love, of storge love. If you have a great relationship with brothers or sisters or parents, you see it in action. If you've ever wept at the funeral of a loved one, you've seen it lost. And even if you have an awful relationship with your family, you know what it looks like because at your core, it's what you want at the end of the day with those people or just with a family. You want that familial love, that safety, that identity, that security that comes with Storge. And Storge is all those things. You're not there yet, but Storge love gets even more intense when you have children. I remember when my wife, some of you have heard this story, I apologize, the ones of you that haven't, it's new for you. So, um, I, would, I remember when my wife gave birth to my eldest, I feel like it was yesterday, but we got a third one that's about to arrive in any, any moment. Um, it's within the month, it's going to come, phone's always on. Um, so, I remember being in the delivery room, the first labor was hard, Okay. She was on Pitocin. You don't know what that is, but it just messes everything up. And uh, we were trying to evict the little sucker. He was late. And, um, and so we're sitting there. It's, no, we're not sitting there. She's working. But I'm sitting there. And they put me to work as the counter. So when a contraction happens, I'm counting. And she's to push as I count. So I'm counting. One, two, three. You can do this. You can do this. You know, I'm, the, I'm the coach. I'm the encourager. I'm the counting. So we've been doing this for three hours. There was an hour and a half break. Either way, we've been doing this for a while. One, two, three, every contraction, every couple minutes. And um, it gets to the last push. He's almost out. Now, one of the things the nurse continually tells the mother is to breathe. Believe it or not, it's important for her and the baby. And they need to be reminded of that because they're in the middle of labor. They're pushing, they're working. Breathe. They need to remember to breathe, to get deep breaths. The nurse neglected to tell me this. And I've been counting to ten, losing my breath, holding my breath in between. Okay, we're ready to go, ready to go. So it's the last push. One, two. I'm getting dizzy. And literally the nurse takes me, throws me in the lazy boy in the corner. Some other person, I don't even know who, throws me a cold rag, puts it over my head. The nurse takes over counting. Four, five, six. The baby's delivered. He's crying. I'm like, good, Stephen's okay. Corey, how are you? I'm okay. And I'm passed out in the corner (laughs) while my child has just been born. And for the next several minutes, I'm literally like, Trying to catch my breath, which is important. And then finally, as soon as I can, I stumble over to my son who's on the other side. He's just been cleaned up. He's on a tray. Um, We've cleaned him up. He's been crying since birth. Like for the last several minutes, he's yelling. He's got my lungs. 
Okay? And so I go over them, and I'm overcome with love for this little dude. Right? It's a storge love that I can't even put into words. Okay? Three, two, one. And when I open my mouth to talk to the little guy, calms down immediately. Immediately chills. He settles down. Even a five-minute-old, he knew the sound of care and of affection. He knew what storge love was even at that age. It's the love that Abraham has for his son Isaac in Scripture. And we're going to be there today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 22. If not, I'll also have them up on the screen. But while you do that, let me give you the lead up to this section in Genesis 22. Okay, Abraham is like old, like pushing 100. And Sarah is not much better off. Okay, she's 90. Um, And an angel appears to them and tells them they're going to have a baby. At this point, you can laugh or cry. Like, those are the two options. And they choose to laugh. And the laugh is a little bit because they're thinking, there's, there's no way, right? There's no way this is going to happen. And a little bit of laughter is because, well, I know that God, so I guess if he says it, it's going to happen. And a little of it is, they just have to laugh because if not, they'll probably just burst into tears, right? So when it happens... They name him Isaac, which means laughter. It literally is something to laugh at. So there is storge for his son. Abraham, storge's, loves his son Isaac. Probably a rich storge. He probably even appreciates it more than I do for my son. Because I didn't have to wait 100 years to have a son. And to wait like 28 so he's been like anticipating this. He's given up hope. So he really so excited. So the story picks up Genesis 22. 3, 2, 1. You guys think of that. Okay. Especially you. Um, Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Three, two, one. Good job. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with your donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the word of the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But there is no lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. It's been the whole section just right there. So they went, both of them, together. Three, two, one. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. 
He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. That's uh, The fear there is like our, our in awe of, our astounded by God. That's the reverence he had. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Three, two, one. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns, horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I think there's one more. Nope, that's it. Uh, No, three, two, one. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens, and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. So why does God ask Abraham, To sacrifice his son, Isaac. Look, I think there's many themes we could pull out to answer that question. I think I could probably answer it two, three different ways. But I want to draw your attention to this answer to the question. Because I think it it, it fits very well with what we're asking tonight when it comes to the four loves. So, why does God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac? Three, two, one. To show us the limits of storge and the unlimitedness of agape. Okay, what do I mean by that? That's weird, AJ. Um, Is there a limit to my familial love? Are you saying there's a limit to how much I love my sister or my brother or my parents or my kids? Look, there has to be. There has to be. You see, storge, love of family... Eros, love of body, and Philea, love of friends, can all quickly become idols. It's easy for you to see that with the last two. We know the idol of Eros exists. Sex addiction is a real thing in this country and the whole world. Porn exists because we have made Eros an idol. Prostitution exists because we have made Eros an idol. Adultery, dirty romance novels, etc. We live in an Eros-driven culture where it is about my pleasure. If Eros is the basis of any relationship, it will quickly become destructive or quickly get boring. This is when Eros love has gone past its limitations. We know the idol of Philea exists because we all know that person. Or maybe you are that person where you are driven so much by what your friends think of you or think you should do. The demand or desire for your friend's approval when an idol leads to depression, FOMO, which is a literal psychological term of fear of missing out, bullying, etc. The fear of man is a real thing, and it happens when philea love is beyond its limitations. Stored love as an idol exists when a familiar relationships have become paramount. This happens, believe it or not, most often with your parents, when their world literally revolves around their children. Well, I would do anything to make my daughter happy. 
well, that might be a problem. Your daughter might want some pretty weird things. For you, as those under your parents, it best manifests itself in disrespecting your parents. You want control of your life, so you want them to back off, but you still want them as a safety net if something happens that's bad. You still want their approval. It's storge love gone wrong. It's the outcome of the fall. We see this in Romans one thirty one when it uses the opposite word of storge, which the English says is heartless. When we become heartless to our parents, which is the anti-storge, that's when we see it. When we have become cold or frozen to our family. I know. It was there. I can't. I can't. I know. I'm sorry. In the case of Abraham, where he might be worshipping his son, hence why God is putting him to the test, holding on to him too much, does Abraham love Isaac more than he loves God? Well, that's the test, isn't it? Is Abraham willing to give up his storge for his God? You see, we need a basis for love, right? If the other three types of love have their limitations, we need a love to base everything on that is unlimited. Because if we don't have it, then we're just going to substitute one idol for the other, one idol for the other. We'll move from this fillet to this fillet to this arrows. Well, that was fun for a while, but I need another fillet. And then, well, that never worked out. I need a store gay. Well, now I'm, now I'm obsessed with my family and making sure they're safe and okay. You see how we'll just move between idols. If we don't have a foundational love... That we can insert. We need a basis for love. We need a foundation. In which we can phileo people. Storge people. And when the time is right. Engage in eros love. When any of these three become the foundation of the other. They naturally crumble. Because they weren't designed to support the other. But agape love is unlimited. It is designed to support the others. Agape love is that which is always associated with the love of God. And before the New Testament. Rarely did it occur in Greek writings when it involved one person in relation to another. The Greek word agape was hardly ever used in Greek-speaking societies. But in the New Testament, regarding God's love for us, and then believers' love to other believers, it's used 320 times. So it's a big deal in the New Testament. Hence why you'll even up into churches. I'm sure there's some in the city that are called agape church. People literally name stuff after it. You know what I mean? Okay? In all the other forms of love, we gain something. In agape love, we give something without anything in return. You see, we have phileo love because we have something in common with another. That's why we have friends, right? We have some mutual respect or mutual experience and that brings us together for the basis of relationship we gain a friend we have storge love because we are part of that other person by relation we have our family we engage in eros love because we gain pleasure from that other person but agape doesn't gain anything by its nature it it doesn't exist because of relationship it exists because of the unearned devotion to its subject Does that make sense? So when God agapes us, we're not like filling his like happiness tank. Like God is holy. God is perfect. God is glorified. We get all the bonuses. Right? And here, 
Abraham has agape love. He trusts Yahweh. Verse 8 says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I mean, think about that moment. You've been asked by God to sacrifice your child. And suddenly your child begins to catch wind. Uh, Dad? I don't hear any ba, ba, ba. Like, I got the wood. We got the fire. No, lambs don't live on mountains. Like, they're in fields, pastures. There's no water on top of mountains for lambs to drink. Where's the sacrifice? But Abraham trusts God so much. And he knows that God agapes him and has made a promise to him that he just says, my son, he will provide himself the lamb. God was testing Abraham to see if Storge was the foundation for love for Isaac or if agape was the foundation for love for Isaac. If Isaac had become an idol or if God was still the center of his worship. You can see from the story that he had plenty of opportunities to turn around. He had to pack up. He had to leave. It was a couple days journey. He had two guys with him. He could have been like, okay, uh, you're my adopted son, Amos. Come with me upstairs. Like, he had plenty of opportunities to, like, try to maneuver things, but he doesn't. We don't see this at all within the story of Genesis 22. There's just this direction from God and this ultimate trust from Abraham as he moves forward to carry out the will of God. He could have told, uh, but he didn't. As he prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac, a voice stopped him and said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear or are in awe of God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son. He even points that out. I know this is your only son from me. So when we have seen Storge in its proper context, always before, so we have seen here Storge in its proper context, always before the feet of Yahweh. For you that means honoring your parents, even when they don't deserve it. That's agape love with storge built on top of it. You know you're not going to get anything out of it. You might even think they're wrong. But it's honoring them in the midst of it. That means when you are parents, not worshiping your children. I'm not saying abandon them to the world. I'm just saying don't make them your world. But that is not the only point of the story. It's not the only point. It's amazing. You see it all the time in scripture. It's got layers like an onion. Hey, three, two, one. The story is parallel for Christ's atonement. Did I miss? Must have missed that. Clap it again. Three, two, one. Hey, the story is parallel for Christ's atonement. Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice his sons for the sins of his people. God the Father offered up his son as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Abraham took his son to be sacrificed. Jesus entered Jerusalem knowing that God would provide the lamb. 
Jesus carried the wood, Isaac, Isaac carried the wood up the mountain on which he would be sacrificed, and Jesus carried the cross up the mountain on which he would be sacrificed. Abraham's hand was stayed by the hand of an almighty God as he lay on the wood, and Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? as he hung on the cross. Not because God storge his people, not because God phileo his people, phileo his people, not because God eros his people, but because God agapes his people. His people had done nothing to atone for their sins and could do nothing. So he sent his son to display love and make it to where they can love as he does. Three, two, one. To bring his people. Let me do one more clap. Three, two, one. To bring his people into right relationship. Phileo. To adopt his people into his family, Storge. For his own glory and pleasure, Eros. Because he agaped them. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own agape, love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now we have access to that love because of the sacrifice of Christ. Galatians 5.13 For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, agape, serve one another. So suddenly he's equating that to the way we should treat each other. Ephesians 5.2 And walk in love, agape, just as Christ has loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Colossians 2.2 That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in what? Agape. And attaining to the, all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. Colossians 3.14 Beyond all these things, put on agape, which is the perfect bond of unity. Something that's available to all of us. I asked earlier, why does God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? Three, two, one. Because it would point to a greater sacrifice. Because it would point to a greater sacrifice. For God so agaped the world. That he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Some of you have experienced that love. And it is the foundation for all your relationships. And there will always be a battle to keep it there. Because it's so easy to replace that. Try to make one of the other ones the basis. Strive to live a life based on agape love. Some of you have not experienced agape love. And the phileo, storge, eros relationships around you will continue to not fulfill you until you put things in the right order. And that is because those loves were never meant to fill you. Turn to Christ this day. Believe on the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for your sins. And repent of your sins this day and be saved. Why? Because God agapes you. And he welcomes you into his family. That other storge love on top of it. So let's pray. Father God, as we've examined the scriptures and we are reminded of how much you love us, of the cost that it took 
of you giving of yourself for your people. And in return, you received scorn, you received wrath, you received dishonor. Um, but knowing even that that would happen, you agaped us so much that you'd entered into it. Uh, Lord, may we be, continue to see the love that you have for us in bolder ways in our life. And may we in turn, when we are filled with that love, fill the cup of others uh, with this agape love that we have given, that you have given us. Uh, Lord, uh, keep us safe as we move throughout the rest of the summer. Uh, until we meet again, in Christ's name, amen.